Welcome to Ed Influencers, a podcast from ISTE, the International Society for Technology and Education. I'm Joseph Sal, ISTE's Chief Learning Officer, and I'm excited to bring you interviews with members of the EdTech community who are not just innovating in education, but are influencing nonprofits, education policy, and business, and are shaping how students learn. team up for success with ISTE's professional learning resources, including ISTE-U courses, ISTE books, and ISTE certification for educators. These diverse, high-quality resources focus on the most critical topics in ed tech, like computational thinking, digital citizenship, and AI. Help your team meet learning objectives and save when you purchase ISTE professional learning resources in bulk. Get the details on these programs at ISTE.org under the Learn tab. Thank you for joining us, Secretary. Pleasure to be here today. You're currently the Pennsylvania Secretary of Education, and you've been a school leader and a union leader and an educator for many years. You've even been honored at the White House as one of 10 champions of change in education. But I'd like to go back for a minute to the beginning of your journey. I understand you're a Philadelphia native, is that correct? I am, born and raised here in Philadelphia. Will you tell us a little about where you grew up and the folks who raised you and what was that like? Yeah, so um, I was born and raised here in Philadelphia. Uh, my mother, uh, who still lives here along with many members of my family, she was a very young mother, so she had me uh, She had me at a young age. Growing up here, we, we moved around a lot. We lived with different family members, uh, lived with my grandmother for a while, but ultimately when we kind of set roots, we lived in, in North Philadelphia for a while, which is the hunting park section of North Philadelphia. I always like to say it's when you're coming off of Route 76 and 76 meets the boulevard. It's the one light where no one wants to stop. It's, it's kind of, you know, is, is where um, is where we grew up. But, you know, even, even uh, you know, with all of that, we, we grew up in a great community, really engaged. Uh, you know, I was able to spend time with lots of friends outside and around the community, a very close-knit family. I grew up with my aunt and my cousins and my grandmother in the same household. So although technically an only child, I grew up my whole life with, with an extended family living under the same roof. Did those early experiences shape the way you think about education now? Oh, absolutely. My early experiences, the experiences of, of my family, of my cousins, the experience of my mother. She didn't finish high school. And I celebrate, you know, the fact that um, I'm one of the first members of my family to, you know, go to and complete college. But, you know, what I'm most proud of is I wasn't the last member of my family to go to and complete college. Um, after I received my bachelor's degree, my mother finished school, went on to get her associate's degree. Um, my aunt went on to get her associate's degree. And so the next generation of, of uh, family members, you know, not only went on to either attend and complete college or they're in the process of, of attending and completing college now. So, you know, I don't know if it was uh, because of my completion, but I do know that I've been able to support them in terms of process and, um, you know, any other areas as needed. And, and that's probably my greatest point of pride. It's just amazing how uh, one person getting to a particular achievement like that can inspire a whole group of other people as well. You know, it is great. And, and especially as you're able to engage in a collective conversation with your family members for the next generation of students and my younger, what I call my nephews and nieces, so they can navigate the system much more fluidly than we were ever able to navigate this system of education. So what was it like being a first-gen college student? 
Yeah, it, you know, it was absolutely an experience. I'm very honest and vocal, um, you know, to say I'm, I'm the secretary of education, but I struggled in school. Um, I was not the star model student uh, for many years through high school. I worked a full-time job. My mother worked two or three jobs at a time. You know, I, I explained to my children now, you know, I worked the job until in which I got home at two o'clock in the morning. My mother left for work every day at four o'clock in the morning. So for my last two years of high school, we were we were ship sailing, wow. uh, you know, past each other through sailing through the night. And um, it wasn't always the easiest of, of circumstances. So transitioning from high school and then going on to higher ed, it, it was trial by fire. I mean, I, from the first day I walked on campus, I had no idea not only where, how was I going to pay for college, but book affordability or access to, to services or, you know, just, um, you know, really engaging and establishing new relationships with, with students around me who may have been, you know, second, third, fourth generation college students. Right. From so, a completely different world. Really. Absolutely. I mean, a completely different world, but you know, but I was fortunate. I mean, I, I did receive um, support to help me continue at home. You know, I did meet some great um, individuals in undergrad and ultimately helped me progress, you know, through college. Probably one of the most significant moments in, in my, you know, in my life is as a undergraduate student was my first year of, of uh, college. I was a freshman, an opportunity to tutor at a, at a local high school. Really? So uh, I graduated from Penn State, but I started at a branch campus in, in Berks County and I tutored math at Reading High School. And I remember the first day I walked into the high school, I walked in and I, and I met my high school student I was going to be tutoring. And it didn't click. I was a mess. You know, he was sitting at the table and he had his hoodie over his head, up over his head, pencil in front of him, but not engaged, slouching. And I realized if I, I can't connect uh, with this student, I'm never going to be able to help him on on content. Um, I'm not even going to be able to engage in conversation with him. So I just started sharing my experiences and my background. And he started sharing his experiences. And we started making parallel connections around our lives. I mean, both, um, you know, had single mothers and both had experienced many of the same childhood experiences that, uh, you know, that he was at the time currently going through. And, and so we made a connection. And then I got to tutoring math. It took some time, but he, he ultimately got it. And, you know, and I can still remember to this day, the look on his face, you know, first he sat up and then he took the hood off of his, off of his head. And then he picked up the pencil. And when he was able to fluidly answer that, that algebraic problem, he went on to the next one, the next one, the next one. And that's when I, I had to tell folks I was hooked. I was like, wow, you know, I'm sure he felt great about learning the concept, but nothing in comparison to how, how I felt right. kind of instilling this, this new skill, this knowledge on the student. And I realized at that point in time, that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. What an amazing experience. Now, I understand that you actually went back to your old neighborhood as a teacher. I did. Two times in my life, I, I, I thought my mother was going to absolutely strangle me. <laughs> and that was first after the experience tutoring, I went back to my dorm room and uh, there were no cell phones back then. There, there was a payphone, And so, you know, I had to, I, I went into my uh, room, pulled out a calling card that my mother got for me and, and called her using the payphone. And, you know, only true to my mother, the first words out of her mouth is better be good because this is an expensive call. <laughs> um, and so I told her um, I was going to change my major. At that time, I thought I wanted to be an engineering major, which is a story for, for another day. I couldn't afford the tools to 
to take drafting classes. But when I told her I wanted to become a teacher, there was a pause on the other end of the line. And she responded, um, oh, no, you're not. You know, we didn't work so hard and sacrifice to send you to college so you can come back and be as broke as you were when we sent you there. Like many students do, I, I said, I understand, Mom. I hung up the phone and changed my major anyway. <laughs> um, she'll tell you to this day when we were on graduation day, on commencement day, uh, she asked, she looked at me and asked, why are we walking to the College of Ed for graduation? And, and that's when I actually broke oh, the news that I didn't, I didn't follow her, her, her directive. Wow. The second time she was going to strangle me was after I graduated and I told her I was going to move back to the neighborhood I grew up in to teach. So not only did I teach, uh, go back to North Philadelphia to teach, I, I moved back to North Philadelphia. You moved your family. Uh, well, yeah, when, at that time I, I lived by myself. Okay. See, when my when I was accepted to college and moved on, my mother left the house and got herself a one bedroom right. apartment somewhere. But um, when I told her I was returning, uh, you know, that same pause. And she, uh, she actually started crying. She said, you know, this is, we, we were looking to improve your quality of life and you're continuing to come back, um, you know, make all the wrong you know, decisions. So I, I didn't listen. I moved back home. I told her this is where I want to serve. So I moved back home and for years I, I lived and taught in the community that, that I grew up in. And then I became a principal, an assistant principal, then principal in the community I grew up in. And, it, you know, interestingly enough, it wasn't until after I got married that, that I actually moved out of, um, out of my, my community, my neighborhood. What a story. You've been involved in urban education for a good deal of your career. It's, it's been a part my of it. Whole, yeah, pretty much my whole career until moving to this position. So what are some of the special challenges of that environment? And how does how does technology play into that in a in a positive or, or a negative way? Yeah, absolutely. I think first and foremost, the positive is you know technology is a tool. You know, we we try to remind folks that uh, technology is not the end all or be all of, of any institution, let alone the institution of, of, of education, whether it's, you know, undergraduate, postgraduate, or, or even, you know, continuous um, education. And technology is a tool that allows us to, you know, if we're meaning, if we're thoughtful and meaningful in how we use technology to differentiate around the needs of students. I shared earlier, you know, I joked where, um, you know, I created one of the first computer corners and in, in my, uh, in my, in the middle school that I taught. But today when I walk into classrooms and I see how teachers are utilizing technology in their, in their class, Classrooms, it's humbling. I mean, I realized I did I wasn't even scratching the surface of, of how I use technology in my whole career. And I think of it, so I taught English learners for, for most of my career. And I think back to when I stepped in a classroom and identified my students who were there to learn English, you know, from foreign countries, all of them. The first thing I did was assess, um, you know, their language ability in, in both in English, but also their L1, because I wanted to know how we could best, um, you know, engage and, and how I could build a learning plan for that individual student. Right. So it, it just kind of makes sense when you're teaching English learners to do so. But as I progressed as an administrator, I realized it wasn't only English learners that you should assess where they are and then build a plan as to where you expect them to be at the end of a unit, the end of, you know, a, a quarter, a cycle or a year. All students benefit from first identifying where they are and then differentiating instruction to help them meet mastery, whether it's it's content or skills. What I see teachers doing in integrating technology, they can assess where students are using technology much faster than I ever could, you know, as a teacher and using a paper pen or even sometimes, you know, one-on-one -on -one and face-to-face, -face. but they can also provide the tools needed for students to learn on their own when the teacher's engaged with someone else. So what I used to do is break students down into groups of five and then engage with a student and then give, a, give other students center work. But to see how, how teachers are now creating centers by utilizing technology and keeping running records through that use of technology, 
that tool has really changed the game. And, you know, I can also share, I, I remember spending a lot of time every day grading and, and creating running records for, for students. What teachers now have access to at their fingertips will allow them to track along with students and to differentiate around their needs. And half the time it took us, you know, when we first started engaging in, in, in those strategies. Part of me thinks, man, I, I, I wish I could go back to the classroom and engage with some of these tools. But then I'm quickly humbled to remind myself I could probably never do half of what I see these rock star teachers doing in classrooms every day. It really is uh, amazing what teachers are doing. And, and it's a reminder that we're really asking a lot of them to do it. Oh, yes. um, and, you know, that requires a, a great deal of support. What are, what are some ways that you've seen schools support teachers mm -hmm. that you feel was particularly effective? Absolutely. So first and foremost, I see that, you know, I see that as my primary role as secretary of education. I remind myself every day and, and, and I engage with my team in conversations that our role as a government agency is to set the conditions by which educators in, in the school buildings, in the classroom, and in the community can best serve the students in their care. And we also say we have to do that through the lens of equity. And, and for us, equity is about providing, off, you know, giving students the resources they need, the opportunities they need, and the conditions they need to be successful always. And, you know, not when we choose to or not when the conditions are optimal, but any given time, we should be making those opportunities available to students. So when you think of, you know, as I walk into classrooms and, and I see, you know, amazing practice, I, I can share with you a, a library we actually visited a few weeks ago. The librarian, just staying current with technology, created a a, a green screen for the, for the most part. So painted one of our walls green and students were working on their history fair projects. So, you know, you remember History Fair where, you know, if you were really innovative, you'd take a science board and you'd put pictures up. If you were not so innovative, you just stapled a bunch of pieces of paper together. Yeah, I think I'd uh, take a little shoebox and put little figures. And, and the little figures in the shoebox, <laughs> right. probably like a Civil War reenactment exactly, or something. Yeah. Is that right? But now students are, are narrating plays in front of a in front of a green screen and they're choosing content to play behind you know the the characters and and they're they're engaging with multimedia in you know really innovative ways it's funny when you when you think about whether you're putting the characters in a shoebox or you're writing a report or you know you're you're creating the best science board you ever could you know usually you were satisfied with finishing now that students are utilizing technology and, and working with a multimedia platform and they're personalizing it, they're making it theirs, they themselves want to go back and improve it. You know, we've even seen students wanting to go back after submission to improve the product because now they, they own it. And, and right. they after they got their final after grade. After they got the, the grade, it was like, yeah. you know, you've already, you've already gotten a grade. You're what done. Are you doing? And they, and they want to, um, and they want to improve. I, I, you know, we go in and we see teachers that engage, um, the utilization of, of technology to meet the needs of some of their most underserved and, and, and some of their, their most struggling students, not only in the classroom, but I've seen teachers create modules for, so that students can can take home and work at home on, you know, using the technology. Now we're working really hard in, here in Pennsylvania to end the digital divide, but we still have some rural communities where, where students are struggling to have connectivity at home to, to meet that last right. mile. And in cases like that, we've seen teachers who actually create and download content so that students can engage almost like in the flipped classroom, right. uh, you know, experience. And, and, but so instead of having the log on, they're creating the content, whether it's by them presenting or finding content and downloading for the student to use at home. So they download it to the device so and then they don't the, need mm -hmm. connectivity. Exactly. Or 
thumb drive. I've seen teachers give students their own devices to take home. And I think of my time in the classroom where I shared where I taught the English learners and, and some of my most struggling students, I'd make a photocopy of the page and I'd say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to pick on you to read this paragraph. I'm going to choose you to read the paragraph. Go home and practice it today because I know and you building that confidence in the right. students w- would make them a, a more engaged learner when they came to the classroom. And we have students now and teachers doing that now utilizing technology. And, and so the content is much richer than a photograph piece of paper was. And, and it's really inspiring to see what teachers are able to do for their kids and what students are doing in response. So I'm always impressed at how teachers can just find a way forward, right? They, they will find a way. If there's a way, they will find it. Absolutely. It's Difficult to think from the system point of view, though. I guess it makes me feel a little uncomfortable that teachers have to do so much of this sort of piecing together of things to provide a consistent experience for students. Mm -hmm. I imagine from a just a resource allocation point of view, you must face some really tough choices in how you get the technology out to schools, out to students, whether you feel like you can cross that gap between school and home um, and ensuring that there's fundamentally equitable access. How do you how do you think about that issue of, of equitable uh, technology use? Absolutely. So when we think of um, equitable access, equitable distribution, even ensuring equity in our expectations of, of what teachers are able to deliver and, and how we set high expectations for students giving, uh, given the time and the context, uh, you know, relevant time and context. You know, first and foremost, we, we I have to be honest and say I see my role as Secretary of Ed, you know, first and foremost to be the biggest advocate you know, for for teachers and and for educators in the system of education across the Commonwealth. I have to be the first person, uh, you know, standing in front of the General Assembly or or engaging the governor and going out to communities to advocate on behalf of our teachers um, and on behalf of our students. You know, it breaks my heart when when I see teachers having to strike or picket or stand in front of the Capitol building and advocate for more resources, or I see kids having to, to miss a day of school to go and advocate on behalf of more resources in their classrooms. You know, I think about that and as a parent and as an educator and as a member of a community and a leader in a community, that's that's my job, right? That's that's our job as those of us who are fortunate enough to be in positions of influence to advocate for, for those that, that have no voice or should be utilizing their time and their voice to better serve their communities. But we live in a time in, in which it's what's needed to be done to better inform the community at large and, and to inform our community. So first, it's, it's my job to advocate on behalf of, of those practitioners. Second, I have to, you know, in order to do that effectively, I have to listen. I spend a lot of time visiting schools, school districts, engaging with teachers face-to-face on, on social media, on email. I read all of my email from uh, myself, from, you know, from, from teachers. I tell them I, I may not be the person who responds, but no one else reads the first email until I've read. Wow, that is, um, that that is real commitment. And uh, well, because, you know, I, I not only do I learn and, and improve as, as a practitioner, but it gives me a better understanding of who I'm advocating for. I mean, they are where the rubber meets the road. And if I'm not being true to the practice of education and, and being their champion and, and being, you know, a practitioner first, then, you know, I'm not doing, uh, you know, serving the the, uh, the field of education, the profession of education in a meaningful way. And lastly, I, I have to take the time and, and stay current, uh, you know, on the trends myself. I mean, I, you know, we're very fortunate under our governor. I've been able to, to pick a leadership team that is actually experienced in practically in the areas they, they lead. So, you know, my, our deputy was a superintendent. My deputy of elementary and secondary was, you know, assistant superintendent, principal teacher. My higher ed deputy worked in the field of higher ed. My finance and operations worked in the area of finance, school finance and operations. I sense a theme. A 
theme, right? So, so, but you know, it's amazing when you think of government, that's not always the case. Yeah, that's true. So when we come together as, you know, as system leaders and we put a problem of practice in, in the center of the table, I have 13 people advocating from a position of experience and, and the position of strength. You know, I, as a secretary, I can actually make sound informed decisions. There's always someone or two or three of folks at the table that aren't happy, but what we've created is an understanding. We don't have to agree on, on the ultimate, you know, decision, but we have to agree on the understanding. And in four years, I can say every single one of those individuals has always come forward and made a decision that they felt were in the best interest, you know, of the community and, and you know, our students. And, um, and that has helped me to continue to advocate on behalf of school districts. So as a leader, I'm sure you've faced some really significant challenges. What, what's something that you think of as one of the, the most difficult challenges you faced and how have you dealt with that? I think one of the most difficult aspects in leadership, and especially as you have the opportunity to lead in, in you know, bigger and, and, and broader roles, and which I've been very fortunate to do, even more importantly, you get to lead on teams, highly functional teams that they're from really smart people. They don't bring me problems until there's like no right answer. Right. right? So, you know, first they're All the learning. easy answers. Yeah, they handle all the easy answers. When they come to me and say, we have a problem, I know I'm in trouble. You know, folks is, you know, much smarter than I can't come up with the answer, then they're just bringing me... Uh, you know, a problem with, with no right answer right. or no easy answer, right, I should right. say. So that's probably one of the, the hardest aspects of leadership. Lastly, I also think when you lead in, in the field of education, everyone agrees that uh, the investment must be made. I mean, I, you know, I've not met with the most conservative member of the General Assembly to, to our most liberal member of the General Assembly. Everyone supports funding and finding resources for, for public education or for education as a whole. Then we get into, you know, then we ask the question, where are we going to find the additional resources? And that's when decisions and, and relationships and positions splinter. And, and so that, you know, for us right now, that's the, um, you know, one of our biggest obstacles. When we're looking at equity and we're looking at serving our most vulnerable learners, they deserve the additional resources needed to be successful. Not only because, you know, they as individuals deserve it, but if you look at the next generation of workforce in, in the Commonwealth or across, you know, across the country, you know, in the world, we are going to have to invest now in, in the future, in the future workforce. You know, we, we discuss quite regularly that uh, right now in Pennsylvania, we see the lowest unemployment rates um, we've ever seen. Yet at the same time, we're struggling to fill some of our highest technical jobs. And that's because we, we failed to make some of the investments we needed to make with the last generation in the last right. 10 years in, in ed. I don't want to make that mistake again. I want to make sure that we're preparing the next generation workforce today. And, um, you know, in, in PA, if you visit a uh, kindergarten classroom, I can guarantee you that teacher in the kindergarten classroom has already started to discuss careers, higher ed options, and really aligned in, in kindergarten. In, in kindergarten, I can tell you, I've walked into, I've visited kindergarten, college, and career days. Wow! Now you know, teach, looks you know, a little you ask different. The than, what they want to be when they right. grow up? It, it's uh, you know, they they want to be all, an astronaut and and, right. so, and that's great. And um, you know, and then when they get into middle schools, they take an interest inventory. So now they can start to you know, there's a continuous you know thought pattern. Of a thought movement to talking about careers and, and what you need to attain those careers. You take an in interest inventory and then you can engage a more meaningful conversation. And then in high school, we have career pathways. And and so when you think of that continuum, you know, you can't start uh, early enough. We, we have to engage students um, as early as possible around, you know, how, what they, you know, not where they're going to go, what college they're going to go to, right. but what they want to be. And quite often even asking what difference, what do you want to do and difference you want to make in your community? So when you look to the future, how do you think we can best prepare our students for what's to come? I mean, there are so many opportunities we have, yet there's 
so much we're trying to accomplish in schools. You know, what what do you think are the, the key things we can do? First, we, we have to recognize the fact that we really are preparing students today for jobs and careers that don't yet exist in, you know, the next 10 to 15 years. I mean, we see it now. I mean, we look at mechatronics, you look at small machine repair. And then, right. you know, what was that 10 years ago? I mean, we never would have thought in a million years we, we'd be able to hold the technology we hold in our hands today. But what we can do is start to prepare students with the skill sets, you know, they need the competencies they need to be successful in those careers. You can no longer be only highly technical. You have to be highly technical. You have to be creative. You have to engage with the skills needed to be, you know, to engage in self-efficacy, but also to be a member of, of a community. And so as we're engaging in education now more than ever, it's important to be mindful of both the art and the science of teaching because we're, we're teaching students to be stewards really of, of their own life moving forward. There is no clear pathway, you know, to success anymore, but we have to teach them to navigate in a world that's going to change three, four times in, in their own lifetime. Yeah, it's interesting. Sometimes I think of it as we need to help them become both more technical in their understanding and their skills, but also emphasize more of the human traits, the things yeah. that make us uniquely human as well. When we um when we meet with uh, business and industry partners, when we meet with CEOs um and, and and company owners, and I ask them, so what can you know what can we improve? What would you like to see us teach in our classrooms? Ninety percent of the time, there's what, there are what we used to call soft skills, the the, the social emotional skills, and you know so so we stopped calling them soft skills. We now call them workforce readiness skills. The, the skill to be uh, to be entrepreneurial, the skill to work as a team, the skill to communicate, the skill to self-advocate. And so we've actually built competencies with, around those skills for students from elementary through high school. But we don't call them soft skills because of what we learned from business partners. They're not soft. No. Right? So we call them workforce readiness skills and, and we integrate that as, as part of um, our learning standards. So you're clearly a person who has faced challenge after challenge in your life. You know, just just as you described, you wouldn't want to go back to the classroom now. I couldn't imagine walking your shoes to the point where you are here today. Yet you really have a, a strong air of optimism and enthusiasm for your work and for the future. Mm -hmm. How do you maintain that? Because I, I know that the things you're struggling with today in their own way are maybe as challenging as some of the things you struggled with in the past. Yeah, I think you surround yourself with optimistic people, peers, and, and you know, surround yourself with, with good energy. And, you know, I am a, I'm a firm you know, subscriber to the fact that I can't always choose what happens or someone else's attitude, but, but I can choose my attitude. And, you know, when you tend to look at things, conditions or circumstance or the opportunities and challenges that lie ahead, if, you know, when you tend to think optimistically around those conditions, there's a greater likelihood that you're going to be able to work to some solution. And when you surround yourself with others that, that feel and think the same way you do, then collectively, Nine times out of 10, you're, you're going to come up with a solution that best serves your community. And also, I, I remind myself often, I mean, you know, I walked, uh, you know, through the streets of North Philadelphia and took a long bus ride to school every day and, and, and had to come home and work a full-time job and my mother, three jobs. I've been blessed. I've, I've been able to do what I love to do, remain focused on not only my prayers, but, you know, really engaging and trying to be a person of character that, that wants to serve his community. I've never asked to be recognized or noticed, but I've been fortunate enough for someone to notice the work, you know, that I'm doing and that we're doing as a, as a team. And as a result, I've been given the opportunity to serve 
a bigger audience and to serve more students. You know, if someone like me can be as lucky as I've been, given the conditions that I've been engaged in, then it's my job to create and set those same conditions for every student in every community across Pennsylvania. Well, it's truly been a pleasure to sit down with you. I really, really appreciate you sharing this time with us. A pleasure's mine. Pleasure's mine. Thank you. The Ed Influencers Podcast is brought to you by ISTE, the International Society for Technology and Education. Special thanks to Emily Morris, Trevor Wilson-Stout, Linda Abanyo, Caitlin McLemore, and Jisoo San for supporting the podcast development and production. Reaching your district's goals is streamlined with ISTE's professional learning resources. With ISTE U, ISTE Books, and ISTE Certification for Educators, your team gets top-notch PD on critical ed tech topics like the learning sciences, open educational resources, and future-ready librarianship. Achieve your district's goals and save when you purchase ISTE Professional Learning Resources in bulk. Get the details on these programs at ISTE.org under the Learn tab.